Uh, morning, everyone. Uh, well, I was saying to Luke this morning, uh, the last time I spoke at the TDA, um, we then didn't come back to the TDA for over two years. So um, <clears throat> hopefully, hopefully this morning will go slightly better from a sort of global point of view. Um, <clears throat> so yeah, um, it's really good to see you this morning. Uh, we're going to carry on in our God Is series. Well, actually, we're finishing our God's, God Is series this morning. Um, so we've been looking at different attributes or different characters of God. Um, today we're going to look at God is glorious. Um, and it's going to be the last one of our series. Um, so uh, the word glorious is one of those words that we hear a lot. It's a word that gets used a lot in our society. Uh, but the more and more that it gets used, uh, the more its meaning gets a bit lost and becomes a little bit vague. So uh, for those of you that don't know me, I, I'm a primary school teacher. Um, so one of the classic things that primary school teachers get children to do is take a word and then make it a little bit better. Make, pick a more ambitious word that means the same thing. Um, can, you, can you come up with a more ambitious synonym than that? Um, and so the word glorious um, is probably one of those words that we might use. We might go, for, don't just say good, say glorious or say incredible or something like that. So... Um, that's one way that we hear the word glorious being used. It's just a, is it just a slightly more ambitious, slightly more impressive version of the word good? Um, it's also a word that you hear regularly in our society. So you might hear like a sports commentator saying, what a glorious goal or what a glorious piece of skill. A music critic might say, it's a glorious album. or might describe a glorious album. A judge on a cooking program might describe the Victoria sponge they've just eaten as glorious. Um, I actually yesterday conducted a bit of a scientific experiment um, and went through our family WhatsApp and searched for the word glorious. And I found 44 mentions of the word glorious, um, of which 42 of them, it's a really good insight into my family, this actually, uh, 42 of them were references to sport. Um, so they were references to rare Barnet wins or the England cricket team not being hopeless. Um, that was 42. Uh, one of them was my mum talking about the weather, and the last one, which is a real insight into my family, was my dad talking about his new weather station that he just installed in the garden and um, at home. So, um, yeah, that, that is a view into our family WhatsApp. It's a real fascinating place. Um, <clears throat> so we use the word glorious in our society all the time, uh, but it's a really Christian word as well. Um, it's a word that we read in the Bible. It's probably not quite as Christian as the word intentional, um, <clears throat> but it is um, a really Christian word. We read it in the Bible lots. We sing it lots. Um, I went into my concordance just in the back of my Bible um, and found the word um, glorious 50 times. I found the word glory over 100 times. But Though it's a word we use lots, it's a word that we hear lots in Christian settings, it's a word that we read lots in the Bible, it's a word that we sing lots, um, do we really understand it? Do we really know what we're talking about? Do we really know what we're singing about when we talk about things being glorious or God being glorious or we talk about God's glory? Is it just a slightly better word for good? Is that what we mean? Is uh, when we talk about God being glorious, is it just a slightly better version of my dad's weather station or a Barnet goal? Um, <clears throat> so that's what I want to look at this morning. Um, I want to spend a bit of time just looking at what the word glory might mean, what, um, how we see it coming up in the Bible, um, what we can learn from that. 
Um, but I also want to look at how the word, how God being glorious actually causes us a bit of a problem. Um, and then also how God can, how God solves that problem. Um, no spoilers. Um, <clears throat> so, as I said, uh, glory is one of those words that we hear a lot in Christian settings. Um, it's a word that's quite hard to pin down in terms of giving it a really, really concrete definition. Uh, one interesting thing that I found when I was reading around the topic is apparently the Hebrew words where we get the word glory from, the sort of root of the word um, comes from a word that's, means, that's called kavod, which means heavy or weight. Um, so I guess like we might describe something as being like a weighty matter um, or something like that. It gives us the idea that the God's glory is something weighty or something substantial. It's something that carries clout. It's the opposite of something being lightweight or um, like that. Uh, Wayne Grudem um, summarizes the appearance of the word glory in the Bible into two categories that kind of work together to give us a bit of a glimpse of what his glory is. So the first of these is when it, glory refers to God's honor um, or God's excellent reputation. So, for example, when we read in Psalm 19 that the heavens declare the glory of the Lord, we can see it as the heavens declaring God's honor and God's excellent reputation. When we see the stars or the moon or the mountains or the blossom on the trees, we can see some of who God is and who, what his reputation is. When David says in 1 Chronicles 16, 24, declare his glory among the nations, it's God's excellent reputation and his honor that he's, telling people, that he's saying should be declared among the nations. Or when we read in Isaiah 43, 7, that we have been created for his glory, it's showing that our creation happened somehow to enhance and point to the excellent reputation and honor of God. So these things, just on their own, show that God's glory is a weighty matter. It's a big thing. It's not some bits of creation uh, that declare the glory of God, but the heavens declare the glory of God. David doesn't say he'll tell people who are interested or into that kind of thing um, about the glory of God, but that it should be declared among the nations. Um, that Isaiah 43 tells us that we have been created for his glory tells us just how significant, important and weighty God's glory is. I don't want to go into this in loads and loads of detail, but it's a crazy thing to get our heads around that God created us for his glory. Um, it's maybe easier for us to imagine that he wanted, maybe he created us for um, a bit of company or to keep him entertained. But when we understand that somehow the human race was created for his glory um, and that somehow the human race is created for his honor and his reputation, it gives us an idea for how big a deal God's glory is. So why does God deserve this glory? Revelation 4.11 sums it up nicely and explains why the Bible can talk in such big, big, significant, weighty terms. It says, Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. God deserves glory that is far beyond what we can imagine because everything comes from him. It says there, you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. 
there's an old New Day song that I heard recently that hit this home with me again. Um, and the lyrics, I won't sing them to you, um, says, they go, it all begins and ends with you. The first, the last, the center of it all. And in you, all things are held together. The sun, the moon, the stars, the heavens. Creator God, the center of it all. God's glory is significant because without him, there is nothing. In him, all things are held together. He's the center of it all. He's the first and the last and the center of it all. He deserves all the glory because without him, there's nothing. So God's glory, we can see as being his sort of honor and his reputation. The other way that we see that Wayne Grudem summarizes um, the appearance of glory in the Bible is it sort of refers to a sort of bright light that surrounds God's presence. So when people come into God's presence, they see some of this bright light. So, for example, when the angel appears to the shepherds uh, in the Christmas story, in Luke chapter 2, verse 9, we see the glory of God shining around them. We see something similar in Matthew 17, during the transfiguration of Jesus, where we read of Jesus' face shining like the sun and his clothes becoming white as light. In Exodus 33 and 34, Moses sees some of God's glory on Mount Sinai. And then at the end of chapter 34, we see this amazing scene where Moses returns down the mountain and his face is radiant and shining. Not just because he's tired from walking up and down a mountain, but his face is radiant and shining from coming in contact with God's presence. It's clear that this light is not like any light we come across on earth or that we can use words to describe. Someone's face being white and shining is... Yeah, it's a bonkers thing to get our heads around. We can't say it's like this or it's like that, but a little bit more. It's clear from these scenes, and when we go, it reads into these scenes, that God's glory, coming into God's glory, is like nothing we come across on earth, nothing that we can imagine or describe. So we can't really describe it. It's sort of described as a bit of a a light or a bright light. Um, But... And it's difficult to use words to properly describe that. But we can, what we can do is we can see how it impacts the people who come close to this bright light. We can see the impact, how they react to it. The way we see them respond to it should tell us something a bit more about um, God, this aspect of God's glory. When we see glorious things on earth... Um, we react in a few different ways. We might take a selfie. We might take a picture. We might go and tell people about it. Um, we might stand and applaud and cheer and shout. Um, or we might send a WhatsApp message to our family. Um, <clears throat> but in these examples, the way people respond to God's glory is not like this. There is no time to take a selfie here. There's nobody um, even standing in just amazement and giving a round of applause. They all respond in the same way. They all hit the floor terrified, hide their faces. Um, Matthew chapter 17 says, that example of the transfiguration of Jesus says, the disciples fell face down to the ground, terrified. The shepherds were exactly the same in that Christmas story. In Exodus 33, we see, so when Moses sees some of God's glory, we see God take steps to protect Moses. 
So he hides him in the cleft of a rock. He covers him with his hands before he just shows him even a hint of God's glory. As soon as people come into contact with the glory of God, they are struck with their own unworthiness compared to God. They hit the deck, hide their faces. They realize how they can't compare to God. This isn't a self-conscious feeling of being slightly inadequate. It's not this person slightly better than me. Now, I play uh, football, seven-a-side football every Monday. Um, and the group that we play with are sort of mostly of a similar ability, mostly fairly average, if we're honest. But occasionally, somebody comes along who is significantly better than us. Um, I'm, sadly, I'm not talking about you, Phil. Um, for, for, uh, <laughs> um, <clears throat> someone who makes everything just look really, really easy. Someone who makes football suddenly makes you realize quite how average you are. Suddenly, all my dreams of being scouted at a sort of late-ish period in life and becoming a professional footballer, suddenly those dreams come crashing down. And you suddenly realize how much better some people are at football than you. But what we see in the Bible here, what we see these people's response to God's glory when they come into contact with God's glory is not like that. It's not realizing, oh, I'm not quite as good as I maybe thought I was, or I'm not quite as good as my little daydream maybe hoped that I might be. Um, this response, the response that we see, is one of knowing that we are completely and utterly unworthy when we compare to him. Think um, Isaiah's response. So Isaiah comes into God's presence in Isaiah 6, and his response is the one that most stuck into my head and is probably the words that phrase it the best. Isaiah says when he comes into contact with God's presence in Isaiah chapter 6, he says, woe to me, I cried, I am ruined for I am a man of unclean lips and I live among a people of unclean lips and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Woe to me, I am ruined is a pretty good summary of the way that people respond to God's glory when they come into contact with God. It's not take a selfie, well done God, you're amazing. It's woe to me. Um, Romans chapter 3 verse 23 famously says, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. If we've started to grasp what God's glory is and what it's like, our first response can't be to stand back and applaud. It's not, wow, God, you're amazing. Our first response if we've really grasped how good, amazing God's glory is, is to hide, hit the deck, hide our faces, like we see in the Bible, and cry out, woe to me, I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips. We are not worthy of this God. So God's glory is amazing. It's incredible. But it leaves us with a problem. We're hit with our own inadequacy, and realize that we are in no condition to come even close to him. Fortunately for us, that's not the end of the story. Um, God provides a rescue plan, an amazing rescue plan. Because Jesus died for us, he takes away that barrier between God and us. Um, A.W. Tozer um, describes it like this in a book that's been much quoted in this series, but he responds it, he describes it really well. He says, we must take refuge from God in God. 
Above all, we must believe that God sees us as perfect in his son. God provides a rescue plan because we can't look at God's face, but we, we can look at Jesus. So because of how glorious God is, we are in big trouble. But because of how glorious God is, we've been saved in the most incredible way. Um, realizing how glorious God is helps us to emphasize how glorious this gospel is. It helps us to realize, A, how much of we are in dire need of rescuing, but also, B, how far Jesus came to rescue us. We won't ever find a high, an example of a higher power dropping to a deeper depth than Jesus leaving heaven to come to the cross. So, I want to spend the rest of this morning looking at this rescue plan, looking at how amazing it is and what it means for us. I want to spend some time in a passage in 2 Corinthians. It's 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Um, so get your Bibles ready. Um, where Paul starts to talk about how glorious God's rescue plan is. So um, we're going to read it together. Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 7. It will come up on the screen. Um, if you've not got your Bibles, but let's just start by reading that. Um, so the little subheading in my Bible is the glory of the new covenant. So 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 7. Now, if the ministry that brought death, which was engraved in letters on stone, came with glory, so that the Israelites could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of its glory, fading though it was, Will not the ministry of the Spirit be even more glorious? If the ministry that condemns men is glorious, how much more glorious is the ministry that brings righteousness? For what was glorious has no glory now in comparison with the surpassing glory. And if what was fading away came with glory, how much greater is the glory of that which lasts? Therefore, since we have a hope, such a hope, we are very bold. We are not like Moses, who would put a veil over his face to keep the Israelites from gazing at it while the radiance was fading away. But their minds were made dull. For to this day, the same veil remains where the old covenant is read. It has not been removed, because only in Christ is it taken away. Even to this day, when Moses is read, a veil covers their hearts. But when everyone... Whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now, the Lord is spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we, who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory, are being transformed into his likeness with an ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the spirit. Um, amazing passage, and probably also, I said at the start my concordance was full of the word glory lots of them are in that passage aren't they um so um paul in that passage is contrasting two glories the glory of the old covenant the old promise um which in itself is incredibly glorious we've seen glimpses of that and then also the glory of the new covenant he describes how the new covenant is even more glorious than the old one in the Old Covenant, as we've seen, we, when we encounter the glory of God, when we see the weight of his radiance and his reputation, there's only one response that we can make. 
to hit the deck, to realize we've got nothing to bring, um, to realize that we're doomed and woe is me. But the amazing thing about the new covenant is that when we look at the glory of God, instead of being consumed because we've got nothing to offer, instead, the glory comes from Jesus. And Jesus says, you have my righteousness. So instead of being consumed and condemned, we're transformed. Without the cross, when we come across this glory, we know that it's amazing, that it's beautiful, but we know that we have to hit the deck and realize we're doomed. But because of the cross, this glory doesn't trans destroy us, but it transforms us. If we've really grasped how glorious God is and how far, fall, far we fall short of this, then this is an absolutely stunning piece of news. By rights, God's glory should mean we shouldn't be able to come anywhere close to him. But instead, the cross means that the complete opposite can be true. We sing a song sometimes. Uh, Jesus, Alpha and Omega, our God, the risen Saviour, oh, be still and behold him. Songs like this only exist because of the cross. The fact that we can be still and behold God rather than hide our faces is a miracle that's made possible by the cross. We can be bold, it says in that chapter we just read. Our veil that we had to cover our faces with has been removed. That we can be still and behold is just stunning. Even more ridiculous than this, even more incredible than this, is what Paul told the Corinthians in the third chapter of, the, of his first letter. So 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16. It says, Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in your midst? We have incredible access to God. The God who Moses and the shepherds and the disciples had to hide their face from, um, had to hide themselves in a rock, had to hit the deck, um, but because of the cross, the Bible says that Jesus lives in us through his spirit. What an amazing thing that is. Being in God's presence is something that we can experience day in, day out, on a good day, on a bad day, when it's raining, when it's sunny. It's not something, it's not about emotive songs in a big crowd. It's not about hyping ourselves up or getting ourselves into a spiritual zone. God's presence is ever-present it's close, um, and God can live in us. And it's all because of what Jesus did on the cross. Um, verse 17 is a very, very famous one, um, very often quoted. Um, often we hear it in songs and things. It says, where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And where we have freedom and where this passage, or what the, one of the things this passage is talking about is, we have freedom to approach God, God boldly, regularly, where we can have an intimate relationship with him. Um, we can know him close to us. Whatever the situation is, whatever the circumstance is, we have the freedom to come and approach God and to know that he is close and he is with us and he is for us. Um, this means that we can spend time with him in his presence, talking to him, whenever we want. Um, often we can turn this into something that we feel guilty about or condemned about because we don't feel like we're doing it often enough or 
we're doing it well enough. We can treat time with God a bit like having our five fruit, fruit and veg a day or doing enough exercise. Uh, we know it will do us good, but we can quickly feel like other things are more attractive and the thing that's good for us is actually a bit of a drag. But when we realise how glorious God is and how glorious it is that we can have such access to him, um, that we can be free, we should be freed from this sense of guilt and shame. We can't earn God's favour by spending a certain amount of time with him or by praying in a certain way. This glorious gospel means that we should see it instead as a privilege to make the most of. We can come into God's presence whenever we want. It's not something we can earn. It's something that God has done for us. And in the light of this, verse 18 is another incredible view into how powerful this gospel is. So verse 18 says, And we, who with unveiled faces contemplate the God's glory, are being transformed into his image with an ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is spirit, who is the spirit. This is an incredible picture of what the Christian life entails, of who we are as people. We've seen glimpses this morning, and they are just mere glimpses of how amazing God is, of how glorious he is. But these verses say that we are being transformed into his image with an ever-increasing glory. We're not just being made slightly less rubbish, um, <clears throat> but through him we're transformed into his image with an ever-increasing glory. We're becoming more like him. What, this, what an amazing promise. Um, but what's the key to this? How does this happen? How do we become more like him? It's about being with him. It's about fixing our eyes on him. Um, spending time with him. Instead of being consumed by him, when we look at him, when we spend time with him, when we pray, when we spend time in his word, um, when we spend time with our brothers and our sisters, um, we, turn, we turn more like him. Um, it's incredible. The glorious King of Kings has chosen to show his glory to the earth through us. It's amazing. It's a significant and a powerful thing. Jesus famously says in Matthew 5, verses 14, 15, 16, he says, you are the light of the world. And then he says, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. The light that shines through us is the same light that was glowing on Moses' face as he came down Mount Sinai. The same one that the shepherds saw on the mountainside. We are the light of the world. When we think about being on mission, about reaching out to our friends and our neighbours and our colleagues in the city, it can feel like a pretty daunting thing. Um, sometimes we can embark on that kind of thing just kind of really feeling like we're doing it on the off chance that something might, might, we might make an impact. But when we see the impact that his light had on the Israelites, on Isaiah, on the shepherds, and on the disciples, we should realize that we can go out on mission with real boldness and authority. We might not feel very much up to very much ourselves, um, but we have the king of glory on our side, living inside us. We don't need to approach mission with timidity or sort of fingers crossed, hope for the best, 
but really expect not very much at all um, kind of attitude. But we can go on mission with a belief and assuredness that goes with knowing how glorious God goes, how the glorious God goes with us and wants to work through us. So, as I finish, the Bible shows us that God is a glorious God. And this is far more incredible than we can ever get our heads properly around. Far more incredible than I can describe this morning. I've been given a preach on something that is far too difficult to describe. Um, And this glory should, by all rights, lead us to say, woe to me. But instead, God has provided us with a glorious gospel that not only means that we get incredible access to him, but that he wants to do amazing things in us and through us. So I think the best way for us to respond this morning um, is to just to spend some time with him, reflecting on how incredible he is. We're going to stand together in a minute. So band, if you want to start making your way back up. Um, we're just going to, it'd be good just to spend a bit of time just reflecting on how amazing God is, how close he is, um, what he's done for us, um, how much we need him to fill on the bands and lead us through that time. But yeah, let's spend some time together just glorifying our amazing king.